Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ Jesus. This worship gathering is going to be a little bit different uh, than what we normally do. And, and so, guests, I, I just want to encourage you to, to join with us as you can. Uh, but this is kind of a, a family kind of thing. And, and we, it, you may be part of the family, just not part of this church. That's okay, too. We like that. But, but we just want to make sure that uh, if, if you're a guest and, and you're not uh, yet plugged in to being a follower of Christ, that you understand that, that this is a unique gathering for us. Uh, it's very important to us as well. That being said, uh, one of the things that, that we just talked about was the blood of Christ. And, and the question is, why is the blood such a big deal? Uh, what is it about the blood? And it sounds a little creepy uh, to a lot of people. Uh, you mean y'all talk about blood? That's a little creepy. Um, but to understand the story of the communion, and that's, that's what we're going to have here in a few minutes. We're going to have these plates are going to pass in front of you. And, and in the plate, you've got one cup, and in the cup is some, some fruit of the vine, Baptist edition. <laughs> Baptist edition means unfermented. Didn't know if you knew that. Baptists still pretend to be teetotalers. And... <laughs> that got more chuckle than a lot of things did. Huh? Um, but this, this is not, this doesn't have any kick to it, okay? It's just plain old Welch's, all right? So that's, that's what we've got right here. And, uh, and, and so you're going to have this cup that passes, going to have this grape juice in it. And then there's going to be a cracker, a little wafer. And you're going to have that pass in front of you. And, and you're like, well, what's the big deal? Now, some of you have been raised in different faith traditions. That makes sense. You understand it. We're just passing it a little bit different than some of the faith traditions that you've been in. But... Before we go down that road of passing these out, I just wanted us to take a time and to understand the story of the supper. To understand the story of the supper, we need to go back and understand the drama of humanity, the story of humanity, where it really begins. Now, I'm not going to preach a sermon from Genesis to Revelation. Well, I actually am, but it won't feel that way. Well, it may feel that way, but not to me, all right? So... Uh, but you have to go back to Genesis where God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and the scripture says in verse 26 and 27 that he made man and woman. He made humanity there. Uh, God created man and woman in his own image and in his own likeness. That means that we have a capacity to have friendship and fellowship with him. And he planted man and woman in this beautiful paradise called Eden. It's the Garden of Eden that, that, uh, that, that really what defined the Garden of Eden was not really the plants and the apples and the, and the animals. What really defined the Garden of Eden is that God would walk with Adam and Eve through the garden in the cool of the evening. That there was intimacy and fellowship between God and man and woman. And, and the beauty and the majesty of that, uh, of that fellowship and the presence of God is really what defined paradise. 
and what defines paradise. But the beauty and the majesty was uh, horrifically marred when Adam and Eve chose to sin. And, And sin then enters the scene of human history and there was no longer the intimacy of presence of God in the Garden of Eden. In fact, God said, you can't be in the Garden of Eden anymore. And from that moment on, because of sin and it's separating us from from God, there has been a yearning and a longing to return to paradise, to return to intimate fellowship with God. So the story of the supper begins with the story of humanity and the drama of our sin. Now, even though we're not trying to blame Adam and Eve for our own predicament, we all have to take credit for sin. Sin is something that each of us have done, and and because of our sin, we are separated from God. And our sin is what creates in us a yearning and a longing for beauty and majesty and love and life. Fast forward from the Garden of Eden to a hill outside of old Jerusalem called Golgotha. And on this hill was a cross. And on that cross was this unique man, God himself, stretching out his arms and dying on a cross. Jesus Christ died for sinners in that moment. He died to reverse the curse that began in Eden. He died to pay the price and the penalty and take on the shame and the condemnation, even the very wrath that our sin deserved. And when Jesus died on a cross in the place of sinners like you and me, everything changed. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, and I'm reading, uh, we'll be in Ephesians 3 a little bit uh, later on as well, but I I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I never read publicly. I think this may be the very first time, Don, that I've ever read publicly from the New Living Translation. But the reason I'm reading from the New Living Translation today is because it captures so well the story that we're talking about here today. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. Listen. This is Paul writing. He says, Because of Christ... And our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. When we place our faith in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross as payment for our sin, we now have a return to paradise. We now come into the presence of God. When we come to the supper, please understand, we are not celebrating the, the cracker or the juice as a way to get us to God. They can't do it. It's just cracker and it's just juice. When we, when we celebrate communion, we're not celebrating the work of the church to get us to God. Because the church is made up of just as many sinners as every other church. 
When we come to communion, we are celebrating one thing, and we're rehearsing and reminding ourselves of one thing, that God in his great grace provided rescue for me, a sinner. And by my faith in Jesus Christ, repentance of my sin, I have been ushered into the very presence of God so that I now live in intimate fellowship with him. When you take the cup, remember the sacrifice. The blood of Christ has taken those who were once far off and has now brought us near. We've looked at the cup. Now, the the blood of Jesus tells us that Jesus saves. Did you know that Jesus saves? If you didn't know, let me tell you, Jesus saves. He saves. He saves us completely, and we rejoice because Jesus saves. By the way, he's the only one who can save. Some of us have been looking for somebody else to save us. Some of us, even today, as followers of Christ, are still looking to something or someone to rescue us When we've got the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, his name is Jesus, and he's the one who saves us. This is the 11 o'clock addition to this message, by the way. What what I want us to see, what I think, and some of you deacons, y'all are like, yeah, I didn't hear all that at uh, 9.30 or 8. At 8 o'clock, what happened to the preacher at 8? Did he go drink some more coffee? What happened? LC, I didn't have any more coffee. It's been the same cup I've been drinking. And that's Baptist coffee, too. But we, we celebrate that Jesus saves. But, but more than that, see, we take the bread. You know, the bread is a picture of nourishment. It's a picture of satisfaction. See, not only does Jesus save, but Jesus satisfies. Jesus satisfies. In fact, I would say that Jesus only ever is the one who satisfies. There is nothing else that can satisfy us but Jesus. For only Jesus is the one who takes us, brings us, and and meets us in the very presence of God. Jesus is the one who satisfies us. I don't have time to develop this too much because we've got to have communion meal. But I do want you to look at at Ephesians 3. I, I just want us to look at, I'm going to read verses 14 through 18 because they are so good. But we're just going to look at at just a few words in these verses. Now, we've already read Ephesians 3.12. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we now have boldness and confidence to come into the presence of God, Jesus saves. But now look in verse 14, Paul writes, he says, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And verse 16, he begins the content of his prayer. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to his glorious riches to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Here's how Jesus satisfies. He makes available to us the very strength and power of God to meet the crushing circumstances that we face. Some of us are here today and we're broken by circumstances. Some of the circumstances that we asked for, some of the circumstances or choices that we've made and the consequences of those choices, I don't enjoy that. Do you all enjoy that? I've faced the consequences of my choices and boy, I don't like it and it breaks me down. It really does. Some of us are facing the circumstances of choices that we have made and we are broken by it. But praise be to God, he gives us the strength through Jesus Christ to face those crushing blows. 
Some of us are facing circumstances that we didn't choose. We're sitting here and we are crushed by our circumstances. We didn't ask for it, but it's hit us anyway. And here's the good news that we celebrate when we take the bread and we put it in our mouth as followers of Christ. We're saying, Jesus Christ satisfies me. He is strong enough for me to face these circumstances that are a crushing weight on top of me. He says that God might grant you according to his glorious might or glorious power or glorious riches the strength you need by or through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, for each day. Here's what, here's what God does. Through Jesus, He gives us the Spirit, His very Spirit that dwells within us, so that the Spirit of God dwelling within us gives us access to all the riches of God's glory. Can I tell you the only limit to the power that God makes available to his people is the riches of his glory? Can I tell you that the riches of his glory are insurmountable? inexhaustible we have all the power we need we have all the strength we need to face our circumstances because jesus gives it to us jesus satisfies but still we cling to these little weak impotent little totems that we have in our life and we act like they are the god of all gods we chase after our own little idols and say, this is what's going to make my, me feel better in my circumstances. The crushing blows are still there, but I'm, I'm just going to go and take hold of this little totem, this little idol, this little, this little thing that I'm going to turn to to look for satisfaction. I'm going to go, I'm going to chase it down. I'm going to take hold of that. Not Jesus. Jesus is my Sunday morning God. The rest of the week, I've got a different idol to whom I cling. And we wonder why it is we are so discontent. We wonder why it is we live in such a mess. We wonder why it is we are so broken. And today, today's an opportunity to turn that around. Today's the opportunity as followers of Christ for us to confess that we have been chasing these different ambitions, ideas, desires to satisfy us. And we're going to stop it today. By God's grace, we're going to yield to the Spirit of God and we're going to confess and repent of our sin. And make no mistake, it is sin against holy God anytime we chase down an idol and act like it's going to satisfy us rather than Jesus. And when we come to the meal, it's time for us to lay our idols down. And confess our sin. Jesus says, oh, I, I still have to preach a text here. I'm not through. That was free, by the way. Still 11 o'clock edition. Verse 17. So that, Paul's prayer, he grants you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being, well, can I just stop there? And again, I've I, I don't have time, but I'm going to stop there. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Can I just say, perhaps you have been like me on this journey. And you are happy to keep Jesus in your Sunday morning room. Or your uh, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday room. Or, or you, 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 have, you have him in, in the bedroom. Or you have him in the dining room. You have him in the kitchen. You have him compartmentalized. But there are certain rooms in your life that that you've locked off and that you've barred Jesus from entering you're saying Jesus you have no business to tell me what to do in this place or in this realm I get to do what I want here 
And we excuse ourselves of bad behavior, of sinful living. We excuse it because what we say is, well, I'm doing well. Jesus has free reign over all these other rooms in my life. So I can behave any way I bloody well please over here. And we wonder why it is that we're so discontented and so empty and so incomplete. We wonder why it is that we're so bitter and mean and hateful. And we wonder why it is that our life is so lacking in joy. It's because that little room that we bar Jesus from entering, that little room is our idol. That's our worship room. That's the place we go to really worship. Jesus Jesus is is our respectable worship, but, but this little room that we keep him out of, that's our real worship. And it's idolatry and it's sin. And that's what's got to turn around today when we take communion. See, some of us are the most respectable-looking cats in the room. And we've excused our sinful behavior for so long that we act as if we're not sinning at all. And we make God sick. I say we, not, not you. I say we. And we make God sick, and it's got to turn around. It's got to change. Ah, sorry. That's, that's good, though. That's good. All right. Okay. We still have to pass the plate. We have, I'm not talking about the offering either. Okay. I say that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, and then, and then verse, verse 18, that you, or verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the height, uh, width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now look at verse 18, and, and this will be the last little detour I'll take. It, it, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Now, when you hear the word comprehend, you know what you think? I can, I, I understand. Comprehend. That's, that's my daughter Maggie trying to comprehend trigonometry. That's a futile endeavor for someone like me. She's brilliant. She can handle it. But, but that's accessing it intellectually. So when we hear that, that you may be able to comprehend what Uh, with all the saints, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ? We're thinking, well, I've got to know intellectually about the love of Jesus. So you might say here today, yeah, I know, I comprehend Jesus and his love. I get that. I understand that. But that's not what comprehend means. I use the picture over here with that. I'll use it over here. Now, it's it's like musicians. You have musicians that can read notes. They can understand notes. I'm not one of them. I'm not a musician. I don't know anything about notes. But you have these little pieces of paper on here, and they're notes, and they're squigglies, right? And, 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 and there are competent musicians, I'm sure, who can read the notes and play the notes. And they do it, and, and they do it adequately, sufficiently. But that's, that's not the comprehend that you want. See, what gives a musician that power, the, the kind where you're just like enamored with their, their playing, it's, it's when they, they have those notes on a page, but those notes capture them. Where, where the notes begin to sing inside their soul and, and, and something happens, so it, it comes out through their fingers or their, or their toes or, or, or their mouth, whatever instrument y'all are playing. I don't know what y'all do, but, but, but it just starts to come out and everything begins to come alive. 
Now, I don't know anything about music, but I know the difference between those two type playing, right? I know the difference, and you do too. Now, when we talk about comprehending the love of God, there are some of us in the room today, and we understand it. We read the notes, but it hasn't captured our heart. What needs to happen for us today, and the reason we have this meal, is that the love of Christ would so capture us that it changes the way we live. It changes what we say. It changes where we go. It changes how our ambitions, our drive, our relationships. It changes everything. So that the love of Christ might be rooted and grounded inside us so that our love for Christ defines how we live. So really, when we come to the meal... We're saying Jesus satisfies us because he gives us a love that shapes our life. It shapes our heart, shapes our mind. Not only that, I mean, it's a love that is real and active and gets hold of us. Have you ever had peanut butter on the top of the roof of your mouth? And you just can't get it off. I love that. Friends, Jesus sticks closer than the peanut butter on the top of the roof of your mouth. That's what his love does. It's, it's, it's getting hold of us. Not so that we just intellectually understand some things. Baylots, how are y'all doing? Right there in the middle. How are y'all doing? All right, sorry. Not just so we can understand some things, but so that, so that we might be changed by that love. So when we come to the meal today, when we come to this meal, It's our opportunity to let go of our idols, everything that we're chasing to satisfy us. Just let go of it all. To confess it and to repent of it. And it's our opportunity to be satisfied in Christ. Jesus saves and Jesus satisfies. Well, we haven't quite made it to Revelation yet, so I wanted to get there before we left. The story of the supper begins with the story of the garden, uh, uh, in the Garden of Eden, uh, where sin uh, took something beautiful and majestic and transformed it into something horrific. And it flows through the story of the cross here at Golgotha, where Jesus took that which was horrific and delivered to us a grace that makes us taste once again the beauty and the majesty of God's presence. But we're not done with the journey yet. See, we're not where we're going to be. In between here and where we're headed, there is struggle and trouble. There is trouble this side of our final destination. But the story of the supper is also a celebration of where we're going. You see, it's it, where it began in the Garden of Eden and, and, and continued at a place called Golgotha. There is another place that we're headed. It's a new Jerusalem, a place where there is no more struggle and trouble and trying and, try, and crying. There will be a day when you and I get to that final destination where we are now in heaven itself, celebrating with unfettered joy, intimacy with the living God, all because of Jesus Christ. There's going to be a day. There will be a day. 
There'll be a day when we don't hurt like we hurt today. There'll be a day. There will be a day when we don't struggle like we struggle today. There'll be a day when God wipes away every tear from every eye. And there will be no more crying and there will be no more pain and there will be no more darkness and there will be no more sickness. For the former things have passed away and God has made everything new all because of Jesus. There will be a day when we get to heaven and oh, what a day that will be. But it's not enough for us to celebrate that. That's a good thing. I love to celebrate that, don't you? I could celebrate that over and over and over again, but it's not enough. We're headed to heaven, and God has given us a job to fulfill this side of heaven. So as we have celebrated the gospel story and how it has impacted our life and is impacting our life, let's leave this place and let's tell the gospel story. We're headed to heaven, glory be, but let's take as many people to heaven with us as we can. So we make our move toward heaven. We take as many people as we can. We live the mission for God's glory. But once we get to heaven, once we get to heaven, there is the joy of no more pain, but more importantly, there is the presence of God. And here's what we're going to be doing in heaven. We're just going to be worshiping God. Moment by moment, morning, noon, and night, we are going to be worshiping the one who has given us life. We're going to be worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords.